And if you would turn to 1 Timothy this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. A little different this morning because of the occasion as we set aside these brothers uh, to serve with our deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 8 to 13. Paul writes, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves as blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And now, Lord, sanctify this time. Come among us. Help our ears to hear, our minds to comprehend. And as we look at this particular topic, help each heart gain what you would have us gain about not only this office, but also our own service to you, which grows out of our faith in Christ. That we would see the the, the servant heart of Jesus reflected in His servants, both those who carry the title of servant and those who don't that in all things Christ might receive glory. For your sake we pray. Amen. And so if you know me, you know that I'm really ready to get on with John's Gospel. It is a delight to me. It's, it's been, meant a lot to me. But Kyle and I thought that it would be helpful to pause this morning and consider the important place of the role of deacons in the life of our church to consider what are deacons and what exactly do they do. Now, depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers to that question. In some traditional Baptist churches, the deacons run the place. They're like the board that oversees the pastor and keeps him in line. In other places, they're little more than a glorified building committee. They take care of the property, they serve communion from time to time. And then, of course, you have everything in between those two views. I read not too long ago about a church that actually has a coffee bar deacon. You know, kind of a barista with a spiritual twist, I guess. But as in every area of our life together as Christians, we have to go back to Scripture to understand what God has commanded for our good. So what does the Bible teach us about the calling of deacons? Who, who are they? What are they supposed to do? And should it matter to you as a part of this church? Well, I'm going to say that it matters a great deal. Because as these men serve us faithfully, they can become a great source of blessing for the congregation and the world beyond the congregation. And so just give thought to that with me this morning. First of all, what are deacons? Deacons are servants. And deacons are called as servants of Christ to serve the church alongside the elders. 
In fact, always in Scripture you find these two offices serving side by side. You find the elders and different names for elder, and you find the deacons. For example, Philippians 1 verse 1 is the very first place in Scripture that the the word or the title deacons is mentioned. And Paul writes, he says, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, that's the whole congregation, with the overseers and deacons. Uh, The point is, the Bible gives two offices in the church, two kinds of servants who use their gifts to care for the congregation. First of all, there are what he calls here overseers, but we're going to see that's the same thing as elders or pastors. There are the overseers who have the role of overseeing the ministry of the church. That's the role Kyle and I fulfill, and anybody else the Lord may raise up uh, as time goes along. These oversee the life and ministry of the local church. But then you also have the deacons who serve with the elders as helpers in the life and ministry of the church. And in fact, every place you find deacons of the New Testament, you find that their work is always connected in some way with the elders. Uh, And so you have elders and you have deacons working as partners. They're, They're not two distinct boards, each out doing its own thing, one over here, one over there. But the deacons serve with the elders, helping in the life and ministry of the church overall. That's clear in the way he addresses them in Philippians 1.1. It's also clear in our passage this morning, 1 Timothy 3. Notice that specific qualifications are given for both the elder overseers and for the deacons, one right after the other. The elders come first in verses 1-7 through of 1 Timothy 3. They come first because that's what their role is. Their, their role comes first. Their work comes first. They are the pastor teachers, verse 3 says. Later in 1 Timothy 5.17, their role is further defined. Not only are they teachers, but they're also those who give leadership overall to the church. And so the elders come first functionally. They lead and they teach But then, verses 8-13 through that I just read gives the qualifications now for the deacons. And notice how their role is tied to that of the elders. He begins in verse 8 by saying, Deacons, likewise. Likewise. Well, like what? Well, like the elders with whom they serve, deacons must also meet certain qualifications. And so at this point... All I want you to see is that we have these two different offices linked together, serving together in the church, serving side by side. Both serve Christ. Both serve in the church. But how they serve is where we see the difference. So here's the second thing this morning. Deacons serve the church as assistants to the overall ministry that's led by the elders or pastors. Again, they're not competitors. They certainly are not adversaries, though in many traditional churches you see that. No, they're they're partners in ministry. And their roles as partners are different. And we can see that difference in the words used to describe them. And so first of all, again, you have the elders or pastors who here are called overseers. By the way, when you read through the New Testament, you find that that word overseers is the most common word used for those who are also pastors and elders. It's interesting, that's the one we never use. (laughs) 
but that's the one that is used in the Bible. And, and I think there's a reason for that. Because I don't know about you, but, but to me, in English, Overseers is an awful ominous sounding title. The Overseers. You know, dun, 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 dun. But the Greek word is episkopos. Uh, and it literally means, it's where we get the word episcopal because of the structure of hierarchy in that church. But it literally means one who oversees things. Episcopos, a scope is, is seeing, epi is upon. So it's, it's someone who is, who is looking over something, who is, who is managing or administrating it. And in the ancient world, this word was used for administrators who gave leadership to a group, to a task. They were, they were overseeing the functioning of a particular body. And to a degree, that's what we as pastors do. We give human oversight under Christ to the life and ministry of the church. It's also why we're called shepherds. In places like 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, uh, where Peter says, I exhort the elders, now he uses that word, among you, to shepherd or pastor the flock of God, exercising oversight. And notice there, the Apostle Peter uses all three terms together uh, for the one office, elder, shepherd or pastor, and overseers. And so the elders give oversight, they give leadership, 1 Timothy 5.17, they teach and instruct, 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.9, they give overall direction to Christ's work within the church, Hebrews 13.7, the elders lead, and then, second, you have the deacons who serve with them. And that's what their name means. This word deacon, many of you are aware, comes directly from the Greek word diakonos in the New Testament. Deacon, diakonos, you hear the similarity. And in in general, that word diakonos refers to anyone who serves or ministers to the needs of others. In fact, there is a way in which every Christian is called to be a deacon in this, this general sense of serving one another. Uh, in the pastor's word this morning, I, I list several passages where we can, we can see that if we just substitute this word deacon, which is the underlying term for the term servant. And so we could say, Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the, the greatest among you shall be your deacon, your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or Mark 9.35, Jesus says to them all, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon or servant to all. John 12.26, If anyone deacons me, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my deacon, my servant will be also. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. And so in this sense, a deacon is a servant. And Jesus Himself is the chief deacon. He says of Himself in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give His life a ransom for many. And so diakonos is at heart a term for those who serve. But specifically in the New Testament, it also is used for this office of service. Because serving others is at the heart of what deacons do. Look again in 1 Timothy 3 at verse 10. 
There Paul says, and let them, let these deacons also be tested first, and then let them, literally, deacon as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Or verse 13, for those who deacon well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so deacons are not teachers at heart. Nowhere in their qualifications are they told to teach the way elders are commanded to teach. Now, individually they may have gifts of teaching and they may exercise those as well, but that's not central to the task of being a deacon. Deacons aren't called to be the leaders of the church. That's not their assignment, though they may have wonderful gifts of leadership that they exercise in other capacities. But deacons are called to be servants of Christ's church using their gifts to meet the practical needs within the body. And so we can say that they are ministering servants. They are not, however, slaves. That's an entirely different word, not diakonos, but doulos. And I make that mention because sometimes people make a really big deal out of the fact that this word diakonos literally means dust kicker. Diakonia, through the dust. And so here's a fellow who is in such a hurry to serve you that he kicks up a cloud of dust like pig pen in peanuts you know, as he's rushing across the floor. That's, that's the root meaning here. And so some have taken that and drawn the conclusion then that a deacon is nothing more than a dust kicker out there doing really menial things, changing light bulbs, trimming the hedges, uh, cleaning up after fellowship, fixing stuff when it's broke. And a deacon might do any of those things just as any other believer might, but his office is more than that. Alexander Strzok in his really uh, good little book, Paul's Vision for the Deacons, um, makes this point. He says... This word diakonos takes on the meaning of an assistant or helper in ministry to those in leadership. It means one who gets things done on behalf of those who lead, so we could say a ministry assistant or a helper in service. Strzok then suggests that we should think of deacons as church-appointed ministers of help church-appointed ministers of help who work along with the elders to get those things done that are necessary for the smooth and biblical functioning of a church. And so we often say it this way, as a congregation at Rockport, we are to be elder-led and deacon-served. As the elders seek to give leadership under Christ to the work of ministry, the deacons come alongside and help implement that ministry in a way that keeps things moving in the right direction. And for a really good example of that, we only have to turn to the early days of the church in Acts chapter 6. So why don't you go there with me just for a second. Acts, the sixth chapter. Acts, of course, is the story of the church as it begins to expand following the resurrection of Christ. And as the church grows, some 3,000 people, by the end of Acts chapter 5, we suddenly stumble into a problem in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We're told, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking part of the congregation, arose against the Hebrews, that would be the Aramaic-speaking part of the congregation, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. 
And so what you have is the gospel explodes under one roof in the church, or really not there was no roof, but under one organization in the church. You had those who were culturally Greek and spoke Greek and had one way of looking at the way you did your daily life. And you had those who were culturally Hebrew and spoke Aramaic. It'd be as if we were growing somewhere in South Texas and under one congregation you had those who were Spanish in their culture and language and you had those who were English in their culture and language. They love each other. They're they're committed to Christ commonly, but they do things differently. And it just so happened that those who were doing the regular distribution of food to to the widows because the temple had cut off that distribution, the church is now taking care of its hungry widows, those who were responsible all spoke one language, Aramaic, and they don't even know the names of the widows that speak the other language, Greek. And so that's the setup. And so this problem has arisen within the church And it's hindering the unity of the church. No, it's not a particular theological issue, but it's an important practical issue. And some people are upset and others don't know what's going on. And you've got these hungry widows out here who need to be fed. I mean, what do you do about that? Who should go out there and feed them? The pastors? On top of preaching and teaching and counseling and visiting, do the pastors now need to go and find food out there somewhere and figure out how to get it to the widows who need it? I mean, this is dividing the flock. It's an important issue. What can be done? Well, look at verse 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles who are functional, functionally pastoring that church at this point, and the twelve summoned the full number of disciples, that is the whole church, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this task. Find some good men in the church, they say. Men who are qualified and trustworthy. Men who are willing to do this work. And we will put this in their hands so that they can do that while we keep our focus on the Word and prayer. I mean, do you see how brilliant this is? That the Holy Spirit has given them a wonderful solution. And so the apostles lead the whole congregation to come together to appoint these faithful men who will take on this task. Faithful men who will be willing to serve in this way. And the result? Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many even of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's very interesting. All those names are Greek names which should tell you something. If we're back into South Texas model and the English speaking ministers can't get to all the Spanish speaking widows because they just don't even know them as the congregation chooses these men to serve, they choose Manuel and Uriel and all those who are Spanish speakers who know these widows and can make sure functionally this task is being done. But but what you end up with is this twofold structure of ministry within the church from here on out. You have the pastors now freed to lead the church by word and prayer, verse 4, because you have the deacons who stepped in to serve the church by meeting these specific needs, verse 3. When the elders and deacons work together like this, 
it is a blessing to the whole church. Another book we've used this year in our training of the new deacons is this one by Matt Smethurst. And in that book he says this, Rightly understood and deployed, deacons are an irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are model servants who excel at being attentive and responsible to tangible needs in the life of the church. In what ways do they serve? By assisting the elders, by guarding the ministry of the Word, by organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving unity, mobilizing ministry, and more. And so first of all, just thinking about that, deacons help smooth the road as the church drives forward. They are, the same book says, like shock absorbers. I like the imagery. Right? They serve the unity of the church by helping solve problems that might otherwise get in the way of the church's mission. Right? They're smoothing out the bumps where necessary. And so the elders lead in the overall ministry of the church in humble dependence upon Christ. They don't just dictate to the deacons the way you would a slave, go stand over there and hold this. They hand off tasks of ministry for the deacons to now take care of. And so again, we see this model of a partnership. As elders and deacons work together, serving Christ and His people, the elders by leading the church in its overall direction, preaching and teaching the Word, leading in prayer, the deacons by making sure the whole thing runs as it ought to. And so Christ comes first. Let's just say that again, right? Christ comes first. Christ leads His church by the Word and Spirit as it's preached and taught within the congregation weekly. That's why preaching must always remain central and prayer must remain central because it is by these that Christ leads His church. And so the elders under Him lead the congregation through the Word and prayer. This, by the way, is our only authority. Right? You don't, you don't do something Scott says because Scott said it. But as Scott, by the grace of God, is able to open the Word and show the truth that you are obedient to. And then the deacons come along under the authority with the elders to serve the congregation in a way that frees everyone to use their gifts and service to Christ. Ephesians talks about that. And so that's the goal. The goal of all this is this. A healthy, functioning, ministering church led by faithful elders and served by godly deacons. And so second, to see, this biblical structure then helps us see the value of deacons as they exercise their role as servants. Again, they're not leaders in their own right. That's not their calling. They don't lead the church in its overall ministry. But they do give leadership to those areas that have been committed to them. They're not out there doing their own thing apart from the pastors and certainly not working against the pastors. They serve under the authority and leadership of the pastors as they themselves follow Christ. And they use their gifts and abilities to accomplish the tasks that have been entrusted to them by the elders so that the way is cleared for the word and prayer to build up the church and enhance the congregation so that we are all working together in service of Jesus. So, So what do deacons do? Deacons are called to meet the tangible needs within the body for the smooth functioning of the church. 
And they do so by exercising their own particular gifts. Uh, which means there will be some diversity in, the, in what the deacons are actually doing. So, for example... Uh, Greg Chastain is well organized. I don't know if you knew that about him. Um, is that right? Uh, t- not you, Greg. T- Tanetta. He- he's a well organized. You won't. You won't tell me that. And-, and so, in this past year, Greg has organized the work of the building and grounds, among other things that he's doing. Now, that doesn't mean Greg's out there running around with a hammer in his pocket, taking care of all the repairs. But it means he's making sure the repairs are taken care of by somebody. Kurt Bain oversees for years now our benevolence ministry and the Acts 4 fund that is used within the body to meet particular needs of, of members in financial need. It doesn't mean Kurt's reaching in his own pocket and meeting those needs, but it means he gives leadership to the deacons as a whole as they consider these needs and, and how best to use that fund. Brad uh, is, is always doing support behind the scenes, uh, some of it technical, other of it in other ways. Um, Mark Stoner, along with others, uh, has worked to look in on Miss Doris uh, and, and to make sure that, that needs are being met there. And, and, and as, as we have other widows who have need, those kinds of things will be done. Uh, Herman uh, makes sure each week that we have men to serve the Lord's Supper. He's not doing it all himself, but he's making sure that's taking place. And on we could go. And as we add these new brothers... Other needs will arise and and we'll see them using their gifts to meet those needs. And and then all of them together take part in serving in our deacon family ministry. And I'm really excited about this because for the first time in many years, we finally have enough men to make sure that every family has a deacon that they can know and call on when there's a need. Uh, One of our goals as we develop this is that every family would know this is my deacon and um, they'll check in with me occasionally, but if I have a need, this is where to start. doesn't mean you can't go directly to the pastors. Of course, you can always do that, but two pastors and multiple deacons do the math. Um, It's more eyes on, more people involved, more people engaged in the care of the flock. And so I love these guys. They are a huge help to me and to Kyle. And we look forward to seeing this ministry further develop. And you pray for that. Third thing then, deacons must therefore be qualified men who are faithful and willing to serve Christ's church. You see how that was true from the beginning. Acts 6, verse 3, they're, they're called to be men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They have to be. Because they're called to visit vulnerable widows. They're called to care for needy people. They're called at times to handle money. And so they must be trustworthy men. They must be honest men. They must be men of proven character. That's the point behind all these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13. to They must be godly men. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the qualifications here this morning. Uh, If you're curious what each of these words means and how it fits the man, you can go to our sermon audio webpage. I don't often direct you there, but it's there. And I preached on the qualifications of deacons, specifically fall of 2015. A little search and you can find it. But what I want you to see now is that these must be godly men. It must be clear that they are genuine believers. And so first of all, we're told that they must be men who have proven their godly character. Verse 8, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 10, uh, they must uh, be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves 
blameless. They, that they show their character by their lives. Second, they must be men of genuine faith. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith uh, with a clear conscience. The faith revealed in Christ, they must hold to that with a clear conscience. Meaning, they must unquestionably be believers who love Jesus. Third, they must give evidence of faithfulness in the home. It all starts there, doesn't it? So that their wives are faithful, verse 11. They themselves are faithful as husbands and fathers, verse 12. It doesn't mean they're perfect, by the way. It doesn't mean they've never stumbled or will never stumble. It means they're faithful. That's the big word here. They must be faithful men above all. They must be genuine followers of Christ. Just as the elders must be, for obvious reasons. Because you're entrusting them with precious things. And so they must have character. Not necessarily be characters. Don, where are you sitting, brother? <laughs> My favorite character in the world. They can be characters, but that's not what it's saying. They, this is what the word blameless means in verse 10. It means there's no glaring moral fall, moral flaw. Uh, there's nothing in them to make you say, oh, I'm not sure I can trust that guy. They are men whose character has been tested in the life of the church. They've shown themselves to be reliable. They've, they've demonstrated the fact that they, they care for you as a body. They're interested in what happens in your life and they're willing to help. They love Christ and they long to exalt His name. That's a tall order. But isn't that what the Gospel makes of us as it works its way into our lives? As we trust and follow Christ by faith. And so basically, these men are to, to be what every Christian is called to be, only we need to see that it is, is actual there, actually there in them. And that brings me to the last thing, just before we call these guys up and lay hands on them. We're told in verse 13 that deacons who serve well in the church are worthy of our genuine respect. Look at verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so those who serve well as deacons obtain two things. First, they gain a good standing in the church. In other words, they earn the respect and trust of the congregation. See, it doesn't mean that they get to be all highfalutin, you know, go around making much of themselves, because that would disqualify them instantly. But see, that's not the kind of men any of these men are. So what does good standing mean? Well, isn't it true that you begin to respect those who serve you well? You begin to respect those who care for you in your need. One of the reasons we love our moms is because from the moment we were born, uh, they've, they've cared for us, they've given themselves, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons we love moms so much. And, and so the deacons who are faithful in serving us are worthy of our admiration because of that service. More than that, they're worthy of our imitation as well. We should want to be like those who serve well. Those who serve us remind us of Jesus because that's what they're exhibiting. They are examples to us of Christ-like service when they're doing what they've been called to do. And so they gain a good standing in the eyes of Christ's church because they are faithful Christ-like men. 
And by the way, we should all strive for that. Second, they also gain a deep assurance of the genuineness of their faith. Verse 13 goes on to say, and also they gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Faith in the Bible shows itself in acts of love. It doesn't just sit there. It's, it's, it's busy. It goes to work. Uh, Galatians 5.6 says, Faith working through love. James says that faith is demonstrated in our good works. And so, and so faithful deacons who regularly serve the church in good works are demonstrating the reality of their faith. They're, that they're being given the opportunity to serve you in love, to do good to you for Christ's sake. This is living out their faith. So doing good doesn't save them any more than it can save you, but it does demonstrate and confirm the reality of their faith. Listen, you are... Whoever you are, wonderful things happen when you give all to follow Christ in serving those around you. I mean, you do that, there's going to be frustrations, there's going to be disappointments because people will frustrate and disappoint you. That's where you say amen. But you get to see God at work through you for His glory. You get to see Him using you to help others see Him better and point others to Christ. And as you do that, that confirms your own faith. One of the greatest ways, in fact, to seal your assurance in Christ is to give yourself fully to serving others for Christ. And that's the privilege that's being given these men as they become deacons. God is putting them in a place where they get to serve Him. And God will honor that service and God will glorify Himself through what they do. And in doing it, God will confirm their faith again and again just as He will for you as you enjoy also serve Him. And so it's my joy this morning to present these men as servants of our church along with these others who have been serving for some time. And so... If you four men would come forward, I'd like to ask your wives to come as well, and some of the other deacons are going to grab some chairs and put them in front for you to sit in. Um, We're going to recognize these guys, and we're going to lay our hands on them, and we're going to pray for them. But also while they do that, um, I want to point out the service of our existing deacons and... Uh, Some of our past serving deacons, we've got some men who have served us faithfully in the past and uh, who for various reasons often just things come up in life, they've they've needed to step back. But um, So our our existing deacons, if if any of you are still sitting out there, won't you stand? Any of our existing deacons? All right, Brad Tompkins in the very back back there. Uh, Mark Stoner over here. Um, Herman is right here. Kurt Bain has chairs in his hand. Um, <laughs> Ray Golick is walking right here holding the uh, certificates. Greg Chastain is over there. And are we missing anybody, Kurt, that I just mentioned? Uh, well, I was going to mention those guys. And now, some of you who have served in the past, 
uh, but, but maybe you're, 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 a, you're a deacon who is currently, we, we call it deactivated, so they're not like, you know, we no longer uh, uh, not acknowledge you, but they're no longer serving actively. Don Arbogast in the back, back here. Uh, Kurt McClure over here to my right. Doug Ferguson had to be out of town, and Bill Loving is somewhere. Um, I, I saw him. Uh, so there he is over there. And, and so all of these men, all of these men are a real blessing to me personally, a real blessing to you as a church. And there are many times that you're not even aware of that because so much of their service goes on behind the scenes. And so, yes, you, you all can sit down uh, who are being, you with their wives can go ahead and sit down. And we'll get to you in just a minute. In fact, I'll get to you now. No, no, let me do this. I'm going to read one more quote. And uh, as we think about these men, all of them that have served, hear this. Again, Matt Smethurst says, Deacons have been entrusted with the service of Jesus Christ. By caring for the hurting, deacons function as Christ's hands and feet to a world that needs His touch. As they discern and meet practical needs, deacons reflect the Savior who took the ultimate initiative to meet our deepest need. And by acting as shock absorbers, who both protect and promote church unity, deacons please the one who both prayed for it and bled to secure it. And so you are never more like Christ than when you serve others in His name. And so these new guys, they're seated now. Uh, Kanoa Benz is right here. And uh, he's actually served in a deacon role in the past. Uh, Though I think without the title, brother, or with the title at your previous church... You never were quite sure because I never actually like laid hands on you and said this is what we're doing. But but he has service. Uh, Scott uh, Larson also on this side uh, served in a church in a, in a role that actually had the title elder, but they they sort of functioned more uh, in a deacon way, as I understand. Um, both Alex Starkey here and Jared Weber over there have also demonstrated uh, their their willingness and desire to serve. Both of these guys, by the way, have led D groups. That doesn't, that's not necessarily a deacon function, but, it, but it's an example of their willingness to serve. All of these men have demonstrated a heart for service and a love for you as a church along with their wives. And so, here's what I want to do. I want to, get, I want to give, a, I want to give a, a charge to these guys and then a charge to you, just a sentence, and then we'll, we'll affirm them and pray for them. And so, first of all, um, to these men, now you've sat, I know, but guys, could you force stand up and, and look this way? Your wives can stay seated. All right, just, just. So I charge you men to take up this mantle of Christ-like service and use your gifts among us for the good of Christ's church. Okay, you can be seated for now. Congregation, would you stand? I likewise charge you, Rockport, to receive these men and their ministry, to pray for them in this ministry, and to look to them as they begin to serve you for the sake of Christ. You may be seated. And now, we'll do an affirmation. I'm going to make them stand up again. And then they're going to be. Then we're going to pray for them. So, brothers, if you would stand. In years past, we have used a deacon affirmation. We're not having them swear an oath, but we are simply having them confirm their commitment to you. And so, brothers, 
as men who have been called to faith in Christ Jesus and called to serve within this body in the office of deacon, do you promise God helping you to faithfully discharge the duties of this office as outlined in Scripture, to work alongside the elders and under their leadership to faithfully serve Christ in this congregation, to hold fast to the mystery of the Gospel with a clear conscience, to walk in integrity as you use your gifts and abilities to care for the needs of this church family for Christ's sake, if so say I do. I do. If you guys would be seated. Acts chapter 6, verse 6 mentions the laying on of hands. After they were appointed, the, uh, they laid hands on them and prayed for them. And we do this because it's a symbolic act. We are symbolically setting them aside and designating them to this task. And so what we're going to do is, 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 is these guys, I'm glad you guys are spread out perfectly, are going to, we're going to lay their hands on the men. And I'm going to lead in prayer. And then any of you guys that would like to voice a prayer as well, just do so loudly. And then Kurt, when, when, when they've had a chance, will close us in that, in that prayer. And so, and you as a congregation, pray with us. So let's bow our heads.